0: Okay, so thank you for joining me for the second of Mistray Bullets podcasts. While the first was a form of introduction and reasoning, uh, with this podcast I hope to begin proper. In future podcasts I'll be most likely adding more of my experiences and thoughts of my service throughout the mid nineteen eighties and beyond as a member of the Royal Ulster Constabulary. I've entitled this podcast "The Tale of Two Cities." Of course, that's lifted from Dickens. Um. <coughs> And basically what I'd like to concentrate on is the representation of Troubles era Belfast in fiction. In light of the title, um, of course, Tale of Two Cities, um, uh, why I picked that was in the context of Belfast and especially in the context of trouble, the era of the Troubles is that Belfast sort of emanated with a time of decaying optimism which was confronted by emergent pessimism, of course, the two radical opposites. Um, I'll just briefly, I'll just read, uh, of course, the, the famous introductory paragraph from Dickens, um, which may illuminate it a bit further. Okay. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity, it was the season of flight it was the season of darkness it was the (laughs) spring of hope it was the winter of despair we had everything before us we had nothing before us we were all going direct to heaven we were all going direct the other way Okay, (laughs) and I think as I sort of uh, said there that there was no denying that during the troubles (laughs) light certainly struggled against the over encroaching shadows of acrid smoke and casual murder <laughs> that slowly crept its way throughout our lives or, or the lives of those who lived through the troubles um, I was actually going to use Dickens' as opening paragraph uh, sort of in my novel uh, just on the pages prior to the beginning of the actual narrative proper uh, and it's it's a paragraph that has sort of threaded through um, a novel as it were because I really felt it represented the lives of some of the characters in terms of say the redemptive or destructive elements of the natures that they sort of find themselves uh, with uh, ok uh, rather than the post-troubles uh, glint of sunlight on the shipyards uh, two huge gantry cranes uh, which have come to uh be one of the icons as it were representing Belfast or even the molten gold of the sunrises which are often viewed from the promontory of Cave Hill. The Belfast as depicted in Troubles era almost assumes the garb of a timeless otherworldly place of endless grey streets cutting through one another at right angles a (coughs) veiled below curtains of endless rain and of course the industrial smog and smoke <coughs> that pumped and climbed from the chimneys now respective authors have come to map these streets uh, with fear uh, threat, murder and of course uh, the and beast of sectarianism which those respective authors including myself of course have to really elaborate on uh, for the benefit of the unfamiliar reader, and in the company of those elements, uh, find the other, which is a narrative of figure, uh, often it represents a character displaced by grievances, or the loss of uh, a sense of self. It's a fictional character, I say possibly a narrative character. It's also a prosaic character, as it appears in several poems. Uh, it's a character who maybe were in the flesh of real-world prejudices or pain, and within the narrative or fictional cartographies, mythologies, and even realities, these this figure such as the other may become blind to one another's presence, even flowing through one another. Basically, in the context of fiction, the other is an oppositional character or figure often defined in both reality and fiction by the observer. Uh, The observer would note the direction from which the other enters or leaves the boundaries, Uh, often in this case Belfast city centre, to determine, um, I guess mostly to determine the religious background of the other. And one of the clearest eliminations off the other, is sort of given in Seamus Heaney's poem, "The Other Side," uh, and I think maybe I'll just read that uh, for you now. Okay, uh, "The Other Side" by Seamus Heaney. <laughs> Thigh deep in sage and marigolds, a neighbour laid his shadow on the stream, Vouching It's as poor as Lazarus, that ground and brushed away among the shaken leafage. I lay. Where his lay sloped, to meet our fellow nested on moss and rushes. My ear swallowing his fabulous biblical dismissal, that tongue of chosen people. When he would stand like that, on the other side, white herd, swinging his black thorn at the marsh weeds, he prophesied above our scraggy acres. Then turned away towards his promised furrows, on the hill, a wake of pollen drifting to our bank like season's towers. For days we would rehearse each par- patriarchal dictum. Lazarus, the pharaoh, Solomon, and David, and Goliath rolled magnificently like loads of hay, too big for our small lanes, or faltered on a rut. Your side of the house, I believe, hardly rolled by the book at all. His brain was a whitewashed kitchen, hung with text, swept tidy as a body o'er the kirk. Then sometimes when the rosary was dragging mournfully or in the kitchen we would hear his step round the gable though not until after the litany would would the knock come to the door and the casual whistle strike up on the doorstep. A right looking knight he might say I was dandering by and says I, I might as well call. But now I stand behind him in the dark yard in the moan of prayers. He puts a hand in a pocket, or taps a little chin with the blackthorn shyly, as if he were a party to love-making or a stranger's weeping. Should I slip away, I wonder, or go up and touch his shoulder and talk about the weather, or the price of grass seed? For me, he knee captures that paradoxical facet of the Northern Ireland Troubles, and beyond even, even to today, that we are the other frozen in our stance, afraid or hazardous to cross that unspoken boundary between us, which we have let bitter minds draw onto our own. And of course, through this dystopian anyplace, uh, the other moves through a landscape mapped by interfaces which often scar uh, with the writing of toxic dialogues, which may take the form of flags, coloured curbstones murals on gable ends even the route of parades or protests such totemic devices serve to illustrate the expanse of one tribe's social influence at the expense of another's so to begin with (laughs) I guess I'd like to look uh, towards my novel Um, when I first came to the setting for my novel I knew it would be Belfast obviously uh, but as I had altered an aspect of organised religion I, I came to ask myself if I would therefore have to alter the city itself by um, new authors who had created fictional towns in Ireland of course in which uh, to place their narratives but such fictions were rarely grounded within the Troubles era especially the Troubles era Belfast in such a way That they would have to follow or at least acknowledge recorded history so uh, working within the scheme of Mithranism I decided to rename Belfast as Beltarf. I changed religion so I thought if I'd uh, maybe altered the name of the city it would in a sense support the insertion of Mithranism while retaining a logical grounding uh, for the characters I suppose bell tarf itself i uh, wanted it to be interpreted loosely um as gaelic for the mouth of the bull only insofar as uh, the bull itself is an important element in mithranism now that was um i guess in my first my first draft and in fact in uh, the first uh, published edition of my novel uh, however following some very positive feedback uh, once I had self-published uh, the book and it had uh, reached the uh, readership as it were, um, I decided uh, at that point uh, to revert back to Belfast in future editions. Um, e- even though I would uh, retain metronism and some minor elements pertaining to it, as well as uh, an alteration creation of street or road names and topographies uh, because really for me the most important aspects of my novel were or, or was the believability of the characters uh, their motivations the dialogue itself and the narrative um, i too as i mentioned earlier explained the sectarianism and and said about the aftermath of riots, slains, um, even those red brick slums, those sharp streets. Because I believe that such informs the genre of the crime drama or thriller uh, which was set in Belfast. As Edna Longley said, <laughs> Belfast is your fault or your fate. It's our gothic any place, our Gotham. So for me, there was no point in disguising the name of Belfast under another. And so really, that's why I r- just reverted to Belfast. As Eamon Hughes wrote of Belfast in 1996, in an edition of Religion and Literature, the city is a form of hell for ideologies which promote a tribalistic knowing your place as the only way of knowing yourself. Okay, now what I'd like to do now Let's just look at some other authors' representations of Belfast. Seems that for some of these authors, I guess because of the nature uh, of their novels, which are sort of, um, of course, thrillers, um, uh, political terrorism, uh, they've sort of the extreme of Belfast, where Belfast is some kind of hellish, as it were, asylum um, to suit their characters. I'll begin by reading an extract of Eddie Shah's uh, Fallen Angels. Okay, so he doesn't really beat about the bush. Um, Belfast. It's not like the rest of the world. (laughs) It is a city of terror and death. (laughs) To the people of the short strand, horror to them was just a normality of the day. I suppose that's quite mild. (laughs) Whereas Jared Seymour, when he was writing Harry's game, described Belfast as a place of hatred terror and bestiality. Uh, Moving to F.L. Green's Odd Man Out which is a brilliant film if you ever get a chance to view it. Uh, Green describes Belfast as a place of dread anxieties and morbid ideas uh, from centuries of fanatical extensions of the well and regions of darkness and insurrection. So here we have these authors uh, gradually drawing death and darkness uh, over their characters. Okay, so that uh, here's uh, Max Caulfield and from his novel The Black City. Again describing Belfast, which is of course the Black City. Edit. He says it is the Black City because of what is between Protestant and Catholic, between mongrel Britain and mongrel Irishman. That is narrow hatred and bigotry. It is not much of a place as cities go A 19th century industrial profusion Of shipyard gantries, linen mills Factory chimneys, flaking pubs oily river basins And mile after mile of narrow mean streets Now on to W.A. Ballinger's book The Green Grassy Slopes Bit of an optimistic title Until we move on to Belfast Which he describes as By the lagging stood the gantries of the shipyard, rearing high and bleak among the rows of little houses that surrounded it, dominating the city they had created. There were no completing hulls in the in the ways, no clatter of riveting hammers that would have uh, reached over the hilltop. There was only the tall, giant structural assembly waiting like Frankenstein's monster to have life breathed into it so uh, again another element which you can see in um, I guess Troubles era of fiction is that centering off location using the shipyard uh, as uh, a distinctive uh, place as it were if we look back to Jared Seymour in Harry's game he kind of moves us further into that paranoia that claustrophobic um, encroaching sort of uh, walls of brick dust uh, where he goes on to say in Belfast uh, strangers were the traditional enemies in the village sized Catholic communities of Belfast the short strand, the markets, Ardoyne, Divis, Ballymurphy all very self-sufficient integral units. Difficult to penetrate. Because unless you belonged, you had no business or reason to come. They boasted no wandering, shifting groups, no cookies to come and feed off them. There were no strangers. You were either known or not admitted. So that was from Harry's Game. And I guess it was more a case to see more drawing up kind of the uh, cartography. And those sort of tribal boundaries and whatnot were his operative, could and couldn't move through. I guess the city needs to serve the narrative rather than the narrative serving the true sense of the city. And as such, uh, we'll have these fictional hellscapes as representative of Belfast, possibly because the respective authors uh, felt that it would instill into the reader. Um, A kind of an ever-looming evil incarnate in the very bricks and stones of Belfast. Um, Almost as if Belfast would become a character in itself in order to make horrendous human characters and their subsequent behaviour drawn by those respective authors more believable. Now let's move on to a depiction of Belfast (laughs) lifted from Owen McNamara's novel resurrection man it seemed that he could see the city clearing on nights uh, like this and it was a place of age and memory he thought about the titanic built in the shipyard the closed linen mills, the derelict shirt factories the streets of houses built for workers and other edifices constructed by speculators they seemed to have this modern city in mind their designs weathered down To create a setting for injured lives This city uh, Like gaunt others They had created on shallow Muddy deltas Or desolate coasts Guided by infallible principles Of abandonment Now I guess that in itself may sound fairly mild uh, As descriptions go Until you realise that uh, McNamee has actually Implanted those thoughts Into the head of one of his murdered it's Belfast, the city, who were the last thoughts of that victim. Not, not the memories or thoughts of families or friends, but Belfast, just simply hard, stony-faced Belfast. So, I'm just going to conclude my readings here with possibly one of the most visceral um, descriptions of Belfast I've ever come across. That's from a book called Shoot to Kill by Michael Asher. Uh, where to begin? Okay. His description of Belfast basically starts as It was an evil, gloating presence It was a vicious, dying carcass With its entrails smashed open Dripping pools of blood and filth and vomit And lashing out in its death throes There was no excitement here There was no adventure This was an evil place The embodiment of evil Like the disturbed anthill turned on itself, a stink hung over the city—a smell of death and dying places, of the drip, of the damp, sodden rags of civilization, of animal pens and a vast market, of an enormous concentration camp guarded with barbed wire, searchlights, towers, machine guns, guards with batons, and barbed windows. Well, I think that's quite as visceral as descriptions of Belfast goes. Certainly, one I've heard in a long time. I can say that the author appears here anyway to hold the existence of Belfast. Certainly, at the time, his story set in uh, as a kind of structural abomination, a diseased and demonic, demonic artifact of colonialism. I just on reflection, uh, the Belfast. Featured in this podcast share a commonality of atmosphere. Their authors have attempted, I suppose, to allow their dark and brooding dystopias of Belfast to dull the light. And place the other, that aspect again, that figurative aspect, and a feeling of unease and paranoia ever just over the shoulder of their protagonist. Okay, so uh, I guess this was how authors saw, and in some cases still see, Belfast. And can that be said to be the case today? I'm not really sure. Well, I suppose if you're writing a thriller, especially one steeped in, say, crime noir, uh, then you need to create a climate, a, a dystopia of threatening streets and unfriendly faces. And that can apply to any city or town Not just Belfast Um, Have we contributed to this image Of our city Through our own division, mistrust and bitterness Certainly And just how can we learn uh, Not to ever maybe Carry those grievances with us Even to pass them on to our future generations If we can't recognise them ourselves Well Well I'll leave that with you, but in the next podcast, I'll be continuing on this discussion about Belfast, but um, from my own point of view and my own observations while I was in the Royal Ulster Constabulary, I I guess observations concerning (laughs) sectarianism, which are still raw, even today. So I'll just conclude now. Thank you for joining me. It's not as long as the introductory one. Um, I'm going to try and keep these, if I can, uh, at least under 25 minutes. Uh, So, as I say, part two of A Tale of Two Cities. I'll continue that in the next podcast. Um, Thanks very much for joining me on this one. I hope you found it informative and interesting. Um, And, as I say, if you'd like, you can uh, send me any feedback via Twitter. Okay, thank you.